Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the State of Flux podcast. I am Rich Nardo, and I am super excited for you guys to check out this episode. Former NHL star and Flux 88 partner Mikhail Grabowski joined us for an awesome conversation that covered everything from youth sports to preparedness and mental health and even how AI is changing coaching and analytics. Mikhail had an incredible career for the Leafs, Canadiens, Capitals, and my New York Islanders. He led all Eastern Conference rookies in scoring for the 2008-2009 season. He's the highest scoring NHL player ever from Belarus, and since retiring, he's gone on to an equally impressive career as an entrepreneur and coach. Now you might have noticed I said joined us instead of me, and that's because my partner Blake Armstrong also sat in as a co-host. Blake is someone that I'm very thankful to have in my life and someone I consider a mentor, which is kind of weird to say because we're basically the same age, but between Blake's insight and that of a bona fide hockey legend in Grabo, this interview came out great. Anyways, I'll stop blabbing on here with this intro and get you guys straight into the conversation. Hope you find it as insightful as I did. Are you ready? Speaking of fun, Blake said you're a big rock and roll fan. Well, like growing up, that always listening. It's always good tune in my house, you know. Nice. What are some of your favorite bands? Well, I like growing up, listen like my dad music. So it's like uh, usually it's like uh, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, ACDC has come later. I like uh, Queen is one of the favorite too. And but uh, Guns N' Roses. And you get older. You- you get far more like you introduce like Metallica or Offspring, like kind of my age bands. But uh, I listen everything like, but top top three, it's Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, and uh, ACDC. So that's is that what you're listening to when you're training or like working or anything like that? Yeah, usually yes. Usually like when I grew up, I listened to Led Zeppelin before I go to the every hockey game. So it's like they had this like whole uh, lot of love to the song, and I specifically stopped this in the moment when you start playing guitar, and I'm okay ready i'm go ready to go go play so nice. uh, lots of like i watch like everybody probably know the rocky movie so it's one of the songs from there like i was always playing cage or russian league and this the eye of eyes of the tiger this all that sounds like it this is playing a stadium before the game so it's i remember this good moments in the nhl today they talk a lot about who gets the aux cable in the locker room and which players DJ in the locker room back in your day on the Leafs was that something that was happening where you know one player would take over DJing for the game or for the season or until people decided that they've had enough you know like I always have my own uh, headphones but I remember like listening to what Diana Fanyuk puts kind of songs and <laughs> I like I want to go away from, from the room to like make sure I'm ready to play like with my music so his music is uh, is not bad but it's not like uh, make you ready you know like listen to sometimes uh, Rihanna it's a good singer but uh, it's not the music I want to listen to today I go to the, in the ice you know <laughs> doesn't have the zeppelin effect for you yeah but then my my music i switch like during my life i switched to like lots of uh, electronic music so i prefer before the games and uh when i my last five years in the career i listen lots of like club music house music electronic trance music all, all this like tiesta burn all that guys and you're sharing all that music with your kids as well i share all the time but they still like kind of north american pop culture so it's so i I know all your kids are athletes, you know, doing doing their own things. When you're driving one of your kids to, you know, Lily to figure skating or Jaguar Charlie to soccer or hockey, who's controlling what's being listened to in the car ride over? What what are, what are they listening to get pumped up? Does dad have control or are the kids playing T-Swift? Uh, usually, like, when I'm in the mood, like, I put some my music, but uh, usually I'll let them pick what they listen. And uh, I know that my, my daughter, she's a really big fan of the, like, new music, like uh, Drake and that kind of stuff. And I let her uh, say, like, 
no, today let's change it. I give you my music for today. And she's okay, let's listen to your music. My other sons, they, they usually like easy go and they, they don't really pick. They listen what I what I listen and Jagger like to listen to rap. He think it's a rap, but he listened to Drake for me it's a rapper or it's not really rap. So I like the more like a go deeper to rap, you know, like listen more like Eminem songs and kind of that style, like 50 cents or this is more like hard rap. I say listen this one, don't listen that. <laughs> And he like it, and then he's just used it, and he play in his own room and dressing room. Yeah, it's interesting that talking about the fact that your kids are such talented athletes. One thing that I see, like I have four nephews, and they're all super talented athletes. They all play soccer. One of my nephews is now doing really well playing rugby as well for his high school. And one of the things that blows my mind is when I was playing sports in high school, the difference between the coaching and the amount of knowledge that is applied to youth athletics now, as opposed to when I was a kid, is insane. So I would love to know from you, especially since you obviously played at the highest level and you trained so hard to get there, what are the big differences that you see in the way your kids are approaching athletics and the knowledge that their coaches are giving them as opposed to when you were growing up? Well, I think this uh, now everything has changed. It's not like go outside and play like enjoy, right? So I had this moment when I go play myself hiking and soccer and uh, go to the pond and play there. Now kids don't do that anymore. Like it's really rare. Only if you live like, I don't know, back in Belarus, if people live in the downtown, they had like some arenas, they go meet each other. But now it's here. It's changed a little bit perspective so now i needs to take them to the soccer to the basketball to the tennis it's a, it's a bunch of driving so that's what's changed a lot and i think that's more forcing the kids to do something than themselves during and uh, i think when the kids come to the practices i think the coaches needs to more let them sometimes enjoy the then they have fun like you know play the, some different games and and don't be boring to this drill so over and over like figure out something to teach them like it's just like a go in the street play soccer you know who we'll play hockey something like this but uh, i try bring my kids to the places where the outside somebody play and say let's go let's do it but usually most of times happen on vacation so we go to greece uh, this summer and we like play the beach soccer like non-stop morning to the evening and this kind of moments i think the best for kids that's why we need to like parents needs to find this uh, moments where the kids can play with somebody else just without practicing yeah. because practice make them boring and it's just not to introduce them the skills what they're gonna use and when play real pro sport you know that's why like so many brazilian and argentinian players they grow in the street and here yeah. it's a uh, I think when I live in U.S., they had lots of places when you actually can go and play with people. New York really like for the town. I think for me, like I remember Long Island, everybody plays soccer, everybody plays sports. Like, like I feel like in Toronto is a little different, more like close, you know, more like just section. Go play hockey and do camps, but no, no outside. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think a lot of intangible skills you get as a player comes from that kind of street hockey, street basketball, that type of thing, playing soccer on the beach. It's like that's when you can kind of exercise being a little bit more creative as a player, be a little bit less like, exactly. stress-free. You mentioned soccer a bunch there. Are you a big soccer fan? Yeah, I do. I do. I do love soccer. And now it's, I feel like it's switched a little bit because NHL season starts. But in the summertime, I only like soccer. My kids watch the YouTube college 
stupid YouTube soccer channel. <laughs> <laughs> do you follow the EPL at all? What leagues do you follow? Uh, a little bit, but now it's intention completely gone because of the, the hockey start. In the summertime, we like a little bit uh, look at that excitement about Messi come to Florida, play there, Miami. So, and I think coming up, world champions in Canada and the US, that will be like another boost for the soccer interest for my kids and me as well. That's that's fun. I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. I'm a big Liverpool fan. So oh, yeah. The buy my son, the Liverpool jersey. Actually, needs to go look where that. I think he lost it already somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Did, so, did you get a player? You get Salah? Who'd you get? No, we just had straight like a Liverpool jersey. It's not no, without any names. So I don't get jerseys anymore as a fan with players on it because I decided I was bad luck to whatever player it was. Like yeah. every time as a, as a kid, like growing up, like I would buy a jersey and the player would get hurt or traded immediately. And that's like such a big thing, obviously, in sports is superstition. Did you have any superstitions as a player? What was your like routine like before game and everything? Uh, probably like tape my stick always like same way. Maybe don't, uh, we had like this uh, rule, never like saw anything in New Jersey. If you're something broken is never like fix it. I'm not much superstition. I believe in my work and it's kind of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and Blake mentioned too, that you're very much a planner. You're into like meticulous detailing and take really solid notes and being prepared for everything you do. Were you like that as a kid? Is that something that developed as you got into adulthood? I think it's, I always like this. I think always have like some notebook or write it down some like some game situations some play some lineup even when like when i kid i remember i make like so many draws the like uh game plan like how we need to score the goals what's like the play we should do like a bunch of notebooks full of this like information like and then i grew up like i started doing again and more like understand why i'm doing this and I keep doing it until like my uh, retirement like i every year i have new notebook and make a plan make Make a goal like what I need to do better. And uh, after every game, I give points for myself. Like if I play good, if I play bad, I think that's motivate me. And especially like when I don't score in a while, like I keep writing down like by pen, like what what direction I need to go today, how to score, and do like hundred times the lines to the net. So and so it's worth some time. Put you in the right, you know, in the right brain thoughts. Or and, and I think you know I've seen enough of the things that you do and the preparedness you have. You know, a lot of that ties into work ethic. And I think if you're looking at players today, you've obviously played at the most elite level and you've coached at a super elite level. What do you think are, you know, the keys to someone making it? I know you're a kid's coach these days, coaching your young son's team. You know, if you were talking to a parent about like, here are the things that, you know, really matter. If your kid's going to have a shot at making it. What do you think are those, you know, three or four traits or or attributes that someone has to have to have a shot at making it? Mm-hmm. I think number one, you need to love what you do. I think this most important in all my career. Like I love play hockey. Like I love go outside and shoot the pucks. Like I love like go to the practices and have fun with the kids. I think this comparedness inside me is not because I just want to like win. It's just because I love the game. I think these days kids, uh, they have like everything. Like they had like not just sport. They had like TV. They had like go to party. Like all this like. You know, they have focuses different directions. I think the parents need to really, if they want to keep focusing one stuff, like, for example, be a good hockey player, they need to focus on hockey, make sure, like, he's watch hockey in home, like, somehow have hockey cars, this excitement about this team horizons, like, you know, the kids know the hockey players, so they learn all about the team. So my son, like, he's four, 
uh, last year and he's no NHL teams because of he buy hockey cards. So if you make this environment around like your kids uh, love hockey, so I think this, this is a good way to grow them to be a professional one. And it's a very different game. But one thing that's come to the forefront a lot more than back in your playing days is the whole idea of, you know, mental health and, you know, taking care of that side of the game. Is that something you're seeing already looking at in the youth game? Or is that something players are not kind of getting into until they get a little bit older? I think mental is important since like when you a little kid. And I think parents need to always ask the question themselves. What are you doing wrong to your kid? Then kid is upset or kid crying or kid like don't have a good result. I think that's all mental, even for parents. The parents need to ask themselves the question, what I'm doing wrong for my kid or what I need to do better. You know, I had lots of like situation with my kids and but uh, every day, like I have like rule of 24 hours and next day I wake up, I think, oh, like I need to change something. I need to switch like this subject or like, make them read book in, a, in the atmosphere where they will enjoy the read the books. And then is when you grow up, up for sure you need to care about your mental health and preparation and like you say our world is changed now so much information so much like short videos and short cuts so they they the kids is different and we we're going to be different already so number one i think focus like attention to something what you do it's it's a critical so i think that's what we need to think about it's not even more like mental health it's something about like more attention to focus what you do that that's where is the mental problems i think it's uh, this game where there's like lots of different direction and the, the person's struggling so the same as me like i struggle like every day because i had like uh, so much stuff going on in my life so i'm i have a mental problems of the, because of that so like i need a breaks and it's a time where it's like you actually go and enjoy yourself drink half a coffee and you don't need to rush anywhere so and tying so, back to that kind of mental health angle too um so you're a big planner obviously preparedness is so important to success but you know it it also could have its own mental health challenges so did you ever come into situations where maybe like you were overthinking where you kind of cross over from being prepared to kind of it almost was hurting you more than it was helping because you were overthinking everything as opposed to just making sure you're prepared yeah lots of lots of people uh, tell me that too like during my career and they're like some guys who live in the, in the room with me and they look at me like what are you doing every day why are you like writing down this notebook and i'm like looking at them and say, i just enjoy do that stuff and then i'm more overthinking like i think about other stuff about like like it's not overthinking i'm more upset like i get myself upset if i lose if i don't score i get upset more bring the back on memory now and I think every time when I actually like focus and prepare myself and write it down everything what I need I have the most successful years like my all my best year when I score like uh, 29 goals that year like every single day I write down like my goal for today for the game what I need to do to make myself better and I think this is the what's the word it's called consistency it's it's like so it's a key it's a key about like what you do you know and I never I don't think I ever overthink maybe like, <laughs> but usually my my problem is to get upset like all these problems for a long, long time you know i can't get out so i buy this good book it's uh, seven habits of successful person or whatever it's called and uh, i really struggle in long island when i play and i think that book a lot helped me like to manage my play control my emotions 
because it's a mess there. That year, I have a concussion. I had like problem with the coaches. I think I think my all injuries came from to worry too much about why they don't like me, why I don't play much enough, and we go on ice and you know prepare yourself. That's why you have injuries. So I think my all injuries came from more like upsetness. It's my focus is gone. But if you write down and put like everything in a, in a book and you put your brain in the right direction, you never have a problem. So for me, it's my problem is not consistency. If I lose consistency, then I had like this upsetness, angriness, like that. That's my problem. Yeah. Talk about keeping your emotions in in check and the consistency. So obviously you had some adversity in your career. In those situations, how do you keep yourself motivated? Like manage yourself so that, you know, even when you're feeling upset or angry or, or disappointed in yourself and the situation, like how do you get yourself to still get up the next day? and put the work in that you need to to overcome what you're going through uh well that's what i learned about this seven habits like it's like you control what you can control you make a plan like if you play like an ice three minutes of the game or play five minutes of the game you control this five minutes what you can do the best if you don't like who you play in a line right so you still find a way to to learn about them what they need can like help how they can help you go talk to them what to do and and uh, manage that what you can control i think that's what uh, they help me but it's not easy like i say you can control this like you can think that way like for months like for two months but then it's gone so it's like you again get frustrated you get upset like you stop like thinking about what everybody else think about you like why are you don't playing like for me it's more like uh, say consistency and go back to this you know motivation to what why are you doing this stuff like you want to be like good hockey player you want to win stanley cups i always put like my goal like play nhl like this is my dream when i grow up so play nhl like i never put the goal win stanley cup because it's this is too far i think for me so i always want to just play an nhl and i think this dream come true but then i come back and start putting more, more goals for myself like when Stanley Cup, what I need to do for, for doing that stuff, what, what year. So I think my career is a successful career for me, I think. What I can change, probably I will change thinking. I will train my brain more, be soft, you know, be more like the analyze better. Don't be angry. And it's just sometimes I have a bad luck, but injury is common. Now my job to teach my kids to be control emotions and how, how, how do you how do you approach that how do you try to get that across to your kids i think like i try to talk to them like what do they need to do better for the for the game so i tell my son like what do you need to do look you lose all your face off what do you need to do to win the face off you make one play then you stop moving so what do you need to do for thinking doing that and i maybe create some practice drill then we were doing some quick thinking drill, more by example and just exercise and practice and how you make yourself better. But I think the, the key too for me all my life, I focus on what I can do the best. Like if I'm a good skater, I should use this, like be a good skater. Like I'm not going to teach myself, like be like powerful skater or whatever, but I'm like gliding. Like I like more like change directions. That's my key, you know. I don't have a like best shot, so I use the positions where where I need to be to have a like even shot. We don't try like change too much, like your bad style what you have. Try like a little bit to help it, but work in your good style what you can do. And I try to tell my kids exactly the same. And when you're coaching your kids, obviously there's some really famous athlete parents out there, whether it's Tiger Woods, Dad Earl, 
or the Williams sisters, dad, Richard, or even I was watching the the new David Beckham documentary and he was talking about how, you know, his dad was really hard on him and talk a little bit about what it was like when you were growing up chasing your dream and what your dad involvement was. And then just as a coach and as a professional athlete, where all of the peers in your locker room beside you, like were most people pushed pretty hard by their parents to be able to you know, put in the work, because obviously you talked a lot about you had the passion. So it wasn't about the work as much you were working because you loved it. But when you like look across teammates and the players, you know, is that a pretty common thread that most players that have made it where parents or mom or dad gave them a pretty good, you know, kick kick in the pants to help them work hard? You know what? I don't know, like how to, I always think myself, analyze all players who made it, like what's parents? Yeah, we had like example where it's like the parents, like hard to them, but maybe some example of parents actually is not hard. I have like Nikolai Kulomen, the player who played with me in Maple Leaf. So his parents not involved at all in his career. So he's uh, did himself everything. So I think it's the Depends of the person, depends of the genes what you have, like, you know, like situation. So my dad is always, I say, hard on me, but he make me love hockey. So he's never like, you know, take hockey away from me. And he's, I always go to practice no matter what, like, and make me enjoy like these tournaments. He's, he write it down all goals, how many I score. You have notebooks like about everything. Maybe that's came to me to write notebooks because he did it all the time. <laughs> Parents can be hard. Probably, yes. Probably all successful people. Most of them have a, like hard parents who are really dedicated. And uh, look at the parents now. I think it's not a bad that the dad have a dream to make his son like be NHL player. I think that's the that's the right things to do. Sometimes his parents get super hard. Don't know what to do. Maybe that's that players has never made it. We only find out when the actual players made it, right? Hughes kids made it like three free kids play NHL now. So it's a better example to ask them like what they do, what did that do for them? So I don't I don't know what did he do like to make them it's crazy. Like when three kids play NHL, it's style brothers too. So for sure it's something there about the parenting and I love the game. Grabo, when you're looking at you know, coaching in, in youth hockey, obviously coaching in five and six year olds, it's a very different time because it's so early in their development stage as, as players and as athletes. What do you think are the most important things as a coach when you're coaching kids that age? I think the patience is the most important patience and uh, creativities. I think there's two things like patience and creativity is make these kids listen to you and make even adults. Like when I train, I pick like the hardest uh, jobs. I coach KHL team and the oldest kids and now as youngest kids. So for, for them, for all the, the patience and creativity is, is a huge role for develop these players. And when it comes to your kind of goals, coaching, you know, kids that age, is it about winning? Is it about fun? Is it just about skills development and, you know, being a better player by the end of the season? What are the things that you focus on? And are those things the same things that the parents are interested in? Or are those things different priorities? I think in this in this age, I think it's important. You you actually have fun to win. That's the, that's a goal. I think it's not just have fun. It's not just like win. It's have fun to win. So that's mean like you enjoy the game. And enjoy these wins, the moments, because you know the kids understand. The kids after we lose first three games or whatever we sit in the room, the kids like they don't want to say like happy something. They're not like they, they they know it. I don't even tell them like you guys. I tell them good job, good job. Like, but they know themselves because they love they love the games and they love the win. So they will learn themselves. So make sure like nobody 
I make sure no one yell at them and say, like, you need to win or that's it. You don't go not do anything. So do process, focus on process, have fun and have fun to win. You mentioned Cooley for a minute there. Obviously reminds me back of the, the Russian hipster video that you did with Cooley and him trying on those skinny jeans with those massive legs and kind of always called Cooley a thoroughbred with just, you know, the genetics he was blessed with is kind of the size. And you mentioned that maybe he wasn't pushed as hard, but maybe, you know, genetics helped balance that and making it equation. And when you look at your time with the Leafs, obviously there was really something there with you, Cooley and, and, and Clarky MacArthur. You guys had a line that got, you know, a ton of press. You guys were picking up a lot of points. What do you think it was that was so special about your guys' connection and, and what made you guys click on the ice? Uh, it's a good, uh, good memory playing with this guys. For me, it's always remember like the best time in my career. I think that's what's uh, click. I think is Clark a really smart player really like good playmaker and I think that's what I always look in during my career who the player who actually can play for me like a pass goal like you know you make a play then you get open and give you back it's not a players in my career like can do that and Clark is this exactly guy who's understand how to play like it's not a Russian hockey but maybe more like line hockey when you get open, you have a pass back. And Cooley is always a guy who's protected us to play de- defense pretty good. So he can always help back. That's what makes this line successful and the coach trusts us. And it's it's a good memory to be a second line in the NHL that year. So it's pretty excited. So I wish we keep that line for a longer time. But changes always you imagine that Gravel was playing today in today's NHL and you could just wave your magic wand and get yourself a left winger, a right winger, a top D pair and, and a goaltender. Who are those, you know, guys that you would choose to give you the best shot of winning the cup? Well, that's, that's, that's a hard question. I think I for sure I will play with the Kaprizov, defenseman probably Orlov, probably play with Ovi or Backstrom. So it's, it's, it's hard to say, like, honestly, like, I don't know. Just so you're aware, I'm going to use AI to edit your answer to say Ilya Sorokin is the goalie you want to play with. Ilya, okay. <laughs> um, Ilya Sorokin is the goalie, for sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> actually, they asked me, like, who do you think the best goalie? I actually say Sorokin. Defenseman, I think Hughes. Forward, McDavid. Rocky, I picked this guy from the Phoenix. What's his name there? Cooley. I have another question kind of similar to that. So from your playing days, who was the hardest working teammate you ever had? I don't know. Maybe in Toronto. Saku Kuevo. I think I played with Saku Kuevo a little bit. I think he's pretty hard working. You see, there's too many years behind, so I don't remember now. I think I'm Cooley and me, the hardest working for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody who played, they work really hard. So it's most most of the fighters, you know, actually the guys who's not to play much, they work hardest. I work usually in the gym like insane. And I know a lot about the things that you go through in your day-to-day. Diet is something you're, you know, whether you're really on top of watching what you're putting in your body or you're really regretting what you're putting in your body. It's such an important part of your pursuit of, you know, having a great day and being as productive as you can be. So talk a little bit about that and how that's changed. I would imagine... You know, back when you were playing, it was a little bit different where players weren't as worried about what their pregame meal was. And talk a little bit about why you think that today it's so important for you to kind of be on top of things that you put into your body. Well, growing in a family with like organic food always in your table. And uh, many, many years when I grew up, I think I had good food in my in my house, in my table. So I, I think I brought this from the true all my career. So I never eat like a junk food. Like I like to eat like a healthy organic food. And sometimes, yeah, 
you enjoy to go out and eat like pizza or whatever but if you eat good pizza it's not that bad for you right so it depends then uh, when you're a kid you always drink pops too like yes i did for sure especially like the pops you guys never drink probably you guys send us to rush with this american product so we like poison ourselves like many many years and we like it because we kids we enjoy it this is tasty it's lots of sugar and then when you can came play actually as an nhl a lot of players in my in my time already start care about the food like what they eat like and lots of vegetarian in my team so i have guys who don't even eat so that's really like surprised me kind of but uh, the, yeah some players eat like a junk food before the games a lot of fat food i think for everybody's diet is different but uh, now these days when you eat uh, bad food you you feel crappy next day and you feel like it's hockey so get better get faster get stronger so if you don't eat right uh, you're gonna be slower than somebody else why you can add it to your game something more than just like practicing in the ice and then go and work out so you can add some little things like eat right so we'll see maybe that will help you score another extra goals right so say like uh, everybody say like oh we be like he eat bad like but i don't think so he eat like a good food when he needs to eat a good food when he needs to eat like a beer after the game he eat beers i think life change i think the board get more professional I think soccer example like more above any other sports I think we pick lots from soccer because they always have even chefs and teams and when I play we don't even have like meals before the before the games good one so sometimes it's meat meals so bad we go to the restaurants eat the, the food but nowadays I think that like, everybody have like good food and dietitian in the team and I think it's important you had a front row seat to arguably one of the most spoken about pregame meal players in the league history is, you know, Phil the Thrill, Phil Kessel. I know you know Phil pretty well, and you guys would have quite the epic ping pong battles. In in the locker room, obviously, diet aside, whatever he's doing seems to work because, uh, you know, look at the career that he's put together in Iron Man Street. You know, if he is truly eating the hot dogs that people are saying he's eating, it's, you know, worked well for him. And I don't know whether that's a nature of just genetics, but talk a little bit about the career that Phil's put together and your thoughts kind of as a teammate and the cups that he's won and all, all the things that he's accomplished. Well, the feel feel is feel right he's known by eating like a junk food and that junk food uh, sometimes is uh, everybody think it's help but there's not a junk food help him he's uh, has got good genetic he born like this like he's so calm what you do right so he's strong like a bear you know but uh, how long you're gonna have this uh, whatever enzymes in his body to be healthier for the rest of his life well it's help for him that, that time right just make him calm so he's never like stressed he's play calm but he's not 100 i know he's gonna eat this all his rest of his life like this right some days you say that's it like i want to be healthy i want to eat healthy so it's kind of this my theory like why you need to eat healthy if everything work when you don't eat healthy it's only like you need to think about when you retire and your career is over so i started healthy when i have problems with my stomach like i eat usually everything but then i little have problems in my belly and i start looking at my diet so you mentioned how like a lot of pro teams now have chefs and they have nutritionists and everything and you didn't have access to that so when you made the decision to start kind of like really watching what you were eating, how'd you go about figuring out what the right diet for you would be? Well, I researched a lot of stuff. So I actually hired a chef in California when I trained. The lady is like a personal chef. She come to my house. She cook food for me. Like she's, she know about like all this nutrition, about like all how much you need it. And she's a great chef. And many, 10 years, I used her in California for whole months to prepare my body for the uh, long season. So that's personally helped me a lot. 
I build my muscle and I play like enough games to NHL say like it's, it's work for me. And is it harder to to stay on on track with the diet now that you're not playing? I think this is is hard now because we hear lots of issues with inflammation as a game from some certain food like was you buy it don't like it. I wake up sometimes with headaches so like not all the time but <laughs> lots of time. And knowing that, like, I work with nutrition who tell me, don't eat dairy, don't eat, like, gluten. And I know that, but it's, it's just so hard sometimes to follow this when you retire and when you actually want to enjoy your life. It's impossible to follow that all the time. But I try my best, try, like eat healthy like try eat organic food and especially when you've got the kids wanting you to roll up to the tim hortons drive-thru to get hockey cards every day i know that's like the one of the my weaknesses to go to tim hortons with them and make sure they're happy and buy them hockey cards and then they come home and this my wife yelling at me say you again go to tim hortons Actually, speaking about kind of your post-playing career for a minute, I was reading this quote from you when you were announcing your retirement and you said, I decided for myself that staying at home is not the best option. I need to do something. And that's something that like really resonated with me because I know like I can't sit still. If I sit still, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm going to eat crap food. I'm going to get inside my own head. So you've definitely stayed busy in your retirement between coaching and your like what you're doing on the business and the stuff. So what are some of the things that you're working on now? Like I know you're about to launch uh, Nitro Hockey in a little bit, right? Do you, can you talk a little bit about what Nitro Hockey is going to be? Yeah. So for me, it's uh, stay home too and uh, do nothing. It's, it's, it's killing. So I want to always move and like I can't even sit sometimes in the office and do some office stuff because it's like I need to like keep moving my body. I think all the best decision and my hockey drills or whatever I made come from the walking in a, with the dock like around the lake so that's where my creativity came uh, nitro hockey yes i try to organize now like my private coaching training for the any ages like kids adults pro players use my old knowledge what i know from playing nhl and create the system of drills of the game situation when the, the people can learn i know adam oates you know, always described you as his first private skills student once he kind of got into the private consulting world that, that he plays in now. Talk a little bit about OTC and and what makes OTC a unique character. I think a lot of the players he works with are maybe not that publicized, but I know he's got a, a heck of a roster of some of the best players in the world that are leaning on him for private skills consulting. Talk a little bit about OTC and what makes him a, a, a unique character. Yeah, OTC is like, I think I'm lucky to actually have time work with him in Washington. And I think I'm lucky to learn about his coaching methods and uh, he is unbelievable like some players who play NHL right now I can see how they play and I can uh, can see that the Oats they work with them you know like all this like little like uh, movements and uh, change directions and like puck protection all that stuff like came from him for sure I wish I can have him in my beginning of my career and work with him in a longer time because I can say he's like a genius so lots of his ideas I try to reflect in my coaching his knowledge his vision and my drills that's why i actually start coaching like this i think that's my quote i think like oh how are you going to be coached how are we going to teach the players how to play or whatever it's all, all the same like, but it's not so spend time with him i find completely other part of hockey and how you can play better doing some certain stuff like you don't even realize and if you could take one thing that you learned from Adam Oates that you would say is like the most important thing that you applied as a player and now as a coach, what would you think that would be? I think the know, know your body, how you how your brain connects to your body. So connection between brain and your in your body. Muscles is not important. Your you you your brain, your signals, your skeleton. That's what's uh let you do the best.
When you look at personal skills coaching, which has become such a big thing, one thing I'd love to get your your thoughts on, or obviously we're living in a world where everyone's talking about artificial intelligence and it's gone well beyond a buzzword where there are real AI tools that are impacting all kinds of different categories. I know on our Flex88 business, we use it for you know creative projects and in many ways in the day-to-day of the business. The business that we are in school you works with Tom House Sports, one of the you know, you know, renowned private skills coaches in the world, worked with Brady and Breeze and arguably the, the world's expert on on biomechanics when it comes to rotational sports. I know that for a number of years, they've been building out AI-based online platform called Mustard that is kind of democratizing access to elite skills coaching where now, you know, artificial intelligence will help analyze the data points of someone's, you know, motion patterns, which I think is really, really interesting. And when you look at kind of where hockey's already been going over the last few years with advanced analytics, the folks that are analyzing all kinds of data, I imagine that AI is just going to infuse a a, a cycle of steroids into what was once advanced analytics, where it's going to be less just really smart geniuses that are going over all of the data points to kind of make those decisions where there will be a lot of support from, from AI. What are your thoughts? on what artificial intelligence might do to sport and the opportunities that that might bring or the way that that might change coaching? Uh, definitely is common. Definitely is common. You can see that. And I think like I started thinking about this long time ago when I actually play in Islanders and I can maybe it's a little different, but it's all the same. Like the old like, system, all the stats, the guy who work in the statistics in our team, He's, uh, he always sent me information about like my game, like how many pucks I took it. So it's so completely analyze your, your game, how you play, what position you need to be. And then that's the statistics is my game is like perfect. I should, should play like 20 minutes a game. And so that I still think like the computer actually analyze my game better than coaches because I look at all my like puck battles, like position, how much I skate with the puck is. So for me, I always doesn't look. 100% in statistics, but I believe in this. I believe this. I bring some best coaches information and knowledge and they can create like a better player, you know, and if Adam Moses will share all information with, with a computer and then the computer can help some other kids who he can don't allow to work with or don't have time to work with some other kids, right? So it will be helpful for everybody. I think it's a plus for the players and plus for the board. You mentioned battles. You're not known as a fighter. But obviously, you're a player that played with a lot of grit. But you do have one fight on your 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 NHL belt card. Talk a little bit about that fight, how you were feeling, because you know I don't know if all the listeners know, but you went toe to toe with Chris Neal, arguably one of the the biggest fighters of the time. I think he had over 200 NHL fights in his career, and this is kind of you stepping up for for your first fight in the show. Talk a little bit about what was going through your head while you're dropping the gloves with Chris Neal. Yeah, I think it's a good type of person who honestly don't care who you fight with. Uh, I think at that moment, I play, I think, like six to seven minutes a game. No, not six, maybe 10 minutes a game. And I'm so angry, like, because I don't play enough. And then that situation just cast more like the angriness. And uh, the, the push, the guy pushed the fratten. Uh, and I he's a young guy, so I just stand up for, for him and try. I don't care who I fight, I fight with whatever like it's just i want to get this angry <laughs> angriness from me that situation probably worked it's only the problem i forgot like i don't never tuck my jersey you know to my shirt so they tie down they yeah kick me out from the game because i really like never fight so it's, it's only situation is it's happening where i get really angry and my angriness came again like it's from the from the completely different emotion from emotion don't play there enough maybe like i don't never fight to control my emotion and if i'm happy right so it's i think fights came sometimes was the angriness or something you know or like you fighter 
you fight like because it's your job so my my situation i just angry in completely different situation <laughs> i think i i need last that fight so i probably like uh even and i'm now i'm proud of myself so i fight against good fighter so at least once time in nhl <laughs> And I know you weren't a, a fighter in your career, but that's something that's interesting too, is like if you got the enforcers on the team, when they're looking at training, do you have any insight in like how they approach training as somebody who's focused more on the physical side and, and fighting as opposed to someone who's more uh, a skill-based player? Well, I think like honestly, I think the, the old old fighters, I think they, they want to be good players too. So they train like same as everybody. They train skills like... And I, for me, it's like the fighter who is actually a good fighter. He's a big, good player. So if you see the guy from Detroit, like uh, McCarty, like he's one of the, my favorite because he can fight and he can play. So that's why I look like this fighter is more like they, and they learn from the playing around like Lariona, Fyodorov and Eiserman, whatever they, that era, like he, he get better at himself. So I think fighters like try like do everything what the skills players do. Plus they added like spe- special like training, like because they know they need to protect themselves. So they, they hire probably coaches who can teach them like in boxing and off summer, off season, they train with the like UFC fighters or so they, they need to know the other stuff too, right? So there's been a lot of talk ever since Malcolm Gladwell came out with his Outliers book where he was pointing out that there just seemed to be a disproportionate amount of players that make it in the NHL who are born early in the year, the first three months of the year, because they're, he'd say, 20% stronger, bigger, more developed. Obviously, your birthday is close to the top of the year. You you, you benefit from being you know born in January and playing against some kids that might have been almost a whole year younger than you. Your kids are all December birthdays. So you know all three of your kids are, are born in December. What do you think about you know, Malcolm Gladwell and the thought on? Is it a big advantage? Do you see it with your kids where they're playing against kids that are potentially 11 months bigger, stronger, older than they are? Well, for sure, it's make a sense, right? Like when you play, like you're always like behind. So it's, but I mean, my, in my career, like I growing up players, I play with players who's actually older than me. So I'm the youngest one and I always like physically like behind, but uh, I always have support from coach who is actually trust me. Like I can play last minutes of the game. And every time he put me in the ice, uh, was the best player when we want to win the game. So I'm like a furthest in statistic in the team and playing the third line. But in the end of the game, I play in the first line. So he helped me so when i'm 12 some other coach came and he looked at me and said oh he's not strong enough to play in this age it doesn't matter how many goals you score you do only like free chin up and i'm like he needs to go back to his own age and they kicked me out and put me in my own old uh, my uh, my age group and uh, since then i play with my age group uh, and that coach who's actually kicked me out he come back to this to same team again and put me in the third line again so it's like kind of I believe in that, but I believe in the support of people around. If you're born in December and everybody's know like you're a little behind, but you still have like genetically good skills, good vision, you can tell right away like the kid is born in December, younger, and he but he have better vision, better sense, understanding the hockey. Why? Why he just needs to be developed? He needs to be around like the people who can support that, help him, and so it's I I believe in uh, in him, but I still more belief not in a thousand hours i believe in a gene genetic like i believe in genetic you already prepare you already supposed to have something vision eyes if you don't born with like eyes it doesn't matter how many hours you train 
you're only never going to see the eyes like when the people who's genetically like born with a good vision that that's why i like it's called book like a gene smart gene or something like this i i more believe in in, in that yeah and if we bring that back to artificial intelligence as we start really analyzing people's genomes when you're growing up and choosing what to help encourage your kids to do like there definitely is a genetic predisposition to being good at things mm -hmm. and you know there are things that ultimately are not within our control that our genes play such a big role in i imagine that you know when you take genomes and genetic testing and you kind of marry that with power of artificial intelligence to analyze that data i've got a couple of young kids a four-year-old and an and and almost eight-month-old and I imagine, you know, we're going to have a lot more data to help us encourage our kids and make the decisions that one, they're passionate about. You always want there to be that love, but also the things where they're predisposed to success. And I think like that's happened a little bit more just by happenstance where athletes are playing and they love it. And, you know, you see the genetics come out where they've got the vision and they've got the skills, they've got the ability to take their body to that next level. But I do think it's going to be a an, an interesting time where I, I think genetics is, plays a big role, but I think married with AI is going to play a massive role over the coming generations of hockey players. For sure. I think it will be huge. And sometimes even me, I think about like, go like do this test and check like genetically with my kids if they are athletes or not but then i stop myself for some reason and just say like no it's too late already let's just just do whatever they can do so we'll see so it's it's a it's a, a little bit dangerous like even tell your kids after that so you're not you're not you know not gonna be like a hockey player you just be like a, a musician <laughs> or whatever right but uh, it makes sense for sure and, and no one wants to hear that like you don't have control that no matter what you do you're probably you can't the old-fashioned like you can be anything you want to be to it to a point to to a degree i don't think no matter how hard i could have worked i don't know that genetically i was ever gonna you know have a ch chance to live in the life that you lived as a as a as a pro athlete and i think that that's just the realities for you know certain yeah. individuals it just again came to love the, the game right came to the love what you do in, in my situation, I'm I'm always like a smaller one, like always like I don't have enough like power, like even like playing NHL, like I'm not the biggest guy, like I know like like I will be top for sure in a top like hundred players in my in my age if I have more like a muscle, like my bench press is like disaster, like even when I play NHL, if I don't train, like I still I have still have a limit. Like I always train, but I go to the limit when I can jump up this limit. I always came to the camp. I still weaker than anyone, and it's, it's nothing to change. But I always love to game, and that kind of love to game helped me be a successful like a player. You, you obviously come from one of the smaller you know hockey nations. Belarus isn't isn't the the biggest breeding ground for NHL players. Small country. You looking back at the history books, obviously the, the the highest scoring NHL player to ever come out of Belarus. At what point in your hockey development did you really believe and understand that you had a shot of becoming a pro player and you know making it to North America and playing in the NHL? I never like fully like believe I can play like not believe I believe always, but I never like think it can I, it can be true. I always scared to don't make it. Like always scared. Oh, like I look at the TV. I remember Edmonton play in the final against Carolina. I think they play or something. But I look at these guys. They have like huge beers like this. It's like how I can play this? I'm like such a small guy. Like with my like uh, baby face, how I can play NHL? There's no way I can play. But then it's like you wake up next day and you like go training. Can you play? Like and I think that year when I play in KHL again when it's lockout year. And all NHLers play St. Louis, Le Cavalier, they can play to the Russian League. And when I play against them, I just, in that moment, I say, that's it, I can I can play. Because the Datsuk play, and I, like, remember, I played so hard against Datsuk. I want to, like, actually, like, 
kill him that, in that in that game. Because I say, like, if I actually going to play hard against this guy, for sure we'll be playing the chill. That's what came into my head that game. And I, and you remember that time, like, Zeus is this little prick, like, play like a Marshawn and go and try kill me. And then, then I realized I can go make a, have a chance to play. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point too. When you, you've got big dreams, like something like playing professional sports, it's like obviously the big picture is what you're aiming towards, but you have to take everything day by day. You got to look at your day-to-day progress and benchmark along the way because otherwise it just, I think it gets to be too daunting, especially if you're, you know, in a similar situation to where you were, where you weren't 100% sure that you had the physical gifts. You were a little bit smaller, you know, living in a nation that wasn't necessarily just pumping players out into the NHL. Like if you just looked at it like that, looked at a big picture, you might be thinking like, oh, maybe it's not worth the effort, but you looked at it day to day. You pursued your love of the game and you just worked as hard as you could and it got you got you where you needed to be. Yeah, I think it's, it's you're right, because I think for me, I remember like every single day, I just likes to go to practice, likes to like play the hockey game, likes to like enjoy the whatever after the game and go with friends and like hang out. So it's never think about like... Like today, I need to like make it in order to make it. So you just enjoy the moments and you have your goals and you keep going and keep going. I always have the goal, like play in KHL, I make this goal. Then after KHL, play in uh, NHL, came to Montreal, didn't make it right away, have like in the first game injury, send me down to the Hamilton, play in Hamilton a little bit, still thinking about the NHL if I how many goals you need to score to play NHL and kind of like a journey, life journey. And I think this really like relate to my relationship with people who is around me. Like I always appreciate that like all these people who is in Russia with me, who is in, like in Montreal. I think that's part of the, my growing up rock and roll life kind of, I say like, you know, and some, they all helped me through like some moments in my life, my career. Well, guys, we're running out of time here. I just want to thank you guys both for being on here. This was a great interview, a lot of great insight. I think a lot of our listeners are going to really take a lot out of it. So just thank you very much for being here. Is there anything in closing you guys want to say to our listeners? Don't stress too much. Eat good food. Enjoy the winning and go to sleep early. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it.